wonderful for Becky and I to be with you. We were here, I think, just over a year ago, um, and we just love your pastors and your staff and uh, see that God is doing a, a great, great work here at Seeds Church. And if you're wondering what this rope is, um, it's going higher. And I'm going to do a tightrope walk as part of the <laughs> message today. And just to keep everyone's attention. Um, and I know some of you think, I can't do it. But I can do it. I can do it. Everyone say, he can do it. Yeah. Just kidding. There will be no tightrope walk. But uh, did you receive a, uh, a string when you came in today? Uh, that's going to be an important part of what we're about to talk about. If you didn't get one, our ushers are ready to give you one. So put up your hand, and we want to make sure you get one of these free. They won't cost you anything. All right, keep them up as our ushers get to you. Today I'm going to speak with you uh, on uh, one of my favorite subjects. This subject can be found in every parable that Jesus told. This subject can be found literally on every page of the Bible. There's an invisible thread running through every story of the Old Testament. This topic is in each one. It's the eternal purpose of God. And we don't talk much about the eternal purpose of God, but let me tell you, it's just as real as the air you're breathing right now. As a matter of fact, at this moment, the eternal purpose of God is unfolding in human history. If you understand the eternal purpose of God, it'll help you with both marriage and martyrdom. It'll help you when you're giving birth to a child and when you're burying a child. If you understand the eternal purpose of God, it will help you on your best day and it will help you on your worst day. If you're tapped into the eternal purpose of God, it will help you keep perspective on the mountaintop and not lose hope in the valley. Some years ago, I was praying, and actually I was on a 21-day fast, and I heard nothing from the Lord the whole 21 days. It wasn't exactly a very encouraging 21 days. But uh, the last day of the fast, I was sitting in my living room. I wasn't even praying, and the voice of the Lord spoke to me as if someone was in the room. And he said, your identity in Christ the centrality of Christ in all things, and the eternal purpose of God. And I said, what are these three heavy things you just dropped on me? And the, the voice of the Lord said, this is your apostolic mandate. And uh, to, that was many years ago. And to the best of my ability, I've sought to study and teach and preach in some of the books that you, uh, have, we have available over there. Uh, are written on these subjects. So this is why it's my favorite subject of all. But it's a very amorphous thing to talk about. And so I'm going to give you right on the front end a definition of the eternal purpose of God. It's the overarching plan of God stretched across eternity and through human history to redeem a people for himself and to mature a bride for his son. 
God invites us to participate in the unfolding of his story by serving him on earth. The cosmic culmination of God's eternal purpose is to exalt Christ over all things. Can I hear an amen in the house? I know that's a big chunk of thought to think about. And that's why this rope is here, friends. This this is like the timeline, if you will. It's more than a timeline. But, But God is not locked into time and space like we are. He says he is the alpha and what? The omega. He is the beginning and the end. The Lord existed in pre-human history. Jesus, uh, the Bible says, was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Why? Because he had such an important role in our redemption. And so when you think about this rope going forever that way and forever that way, this is your one and only life. Everyone hold up your one and only life for me. Let's just celebrate that. You know what? That's the thinnest you're ever going to be, friends. So let's just thank God for that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm doing a little dance. All right. So this is what it means. If this rope is stretched from, from eternity past to eternity future... Your thin little life. God gave, may give you 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. We don't know. But whatever it is in the scope of eternity, it's just a thin little slice. When you think about the eternal purpose of God, we know from biblical history that creation started with God's intention. And he created man and woman to reflect his image in a distinct way on earth. Then we know that the fall came and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and God gave them the skins of animals to cover their sinfulness. And it was at that time when God was cursing the serpent for his involvement in the fall, he said, there will come a seed of the woman that will crush your head. And then uh, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel. It took one generation for murder to enter the human experience. And then people spread out and multiplied across the face of the earth, and wickedness was so great that God said, I was sorry that I even made man. I will destroy them with a flood. And he raised up a man, and what was the man's name? Noah, to build an ark to save him and his family. And then after the ark, they spread out across the earth and humankind again sought after God. And God raised up a people unto himself. He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees to walk around a land we call Israel today, the Middle East, that he didn't even know existed. And God said, I'm making a covenant agreement with you that your descendants will own this land and all nations of the world will be blessed through you, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph. These, we call these guys the patriarchs. And then the 400 years that they were enslaved in Egypt. And out of Egypt comes Moses to deliver his people, to take them out of Egyptian slavery and 40 years of a bad camping experience until they finally, under Joshua's leadership, get brought into the promised land. And God raises up judges to help them lead 
uh, in the ways of godliness, and, and they had their ups and downs with walking with God, uh, six back, backslidings and returnings in the book of Judges alone. And then God raises up a king, and the first king of Israel is King Saul. And, and he was uh, uh, an insecure leader, and, and he lost favor with God. So God said, I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart. And that king was named who? You're all so well taught. And after David, King Solomon. And then the Israel and Judah split. They had a great divide as a nation to the northern uh, kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the prophets were raised up to keep God's people in remembrance of all of the good things that God intends for them to do to bring correction and redirection to them. And there was 400 silent years when the prophets were not speaking until there came a man in the Judean wilderness wearing camel's hair and speaking a message of repentance. And his name was John the Baptist, the first Baptist ever. And John the Baptist said, I'm not the one, but I'm preparing the way for the one. And then one day as Jesus was walking by, he said, there he is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I'm not even worthy to untie his, his, slip, his sandals. And Jesus enters the waters of the Jordan River. And, and John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus says, permit it now for, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is baptized the Holy Spirit falls upon him. His earthly ministry begins. He's tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, fasting there. He lives a sinless life for 33 and a half years, is crucified, buried, and on the third day resurrected. And then is ascended to the Father with his onlookers looking on. During that time, he appeared to 500 plus people to show that he was alive and give convincing proofs that he was the Messiah. And then he commissioned the church. And he said, I want you to go spread this good news to every people group on the planet. And thus begins the church age. Friend, there's a cross that stands right here. It divides B.C. to A.D., and it divides the old covenant with the new covenant. It's because of the cross you can call yourself a Christian. And this, this plan of God is unfolding. And guess what? You and I are in it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this. And maybe this is you right here. The day you said yes to Christ, you, you reached up to some invisible reality that you didn't know was going on above your head. And you said, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I understand that I need to tie in to your forgiveness. And you took your one and only life and you said, Lord, I give it to you. Forgive me of my sins. And that was just the beginning of your faith walk. That's why I say the, the amazing uh, reality in the eternal purpose of God is he invites you to participate in all your frailty, in all your imperfection, in all of your weakness. He said, would you take your one and only life and serve my eternal purpose? Friend, we live in the rugged here and now. 
But above our lives, above our heads, is unfolding God's supernatural plan, which will come to pass. Becky and I left Chicago yesterday, and we were thankful we did, but it was miserable weather. It was like snowy, sleet, rain. They were, they were spraying the wings down of the airplane with the, the de-icing. And it was gray and cloudy and cold. It was the kind of cold that goes down into your bones. And you're looking up at the gray sky and thinking, man, I hope we can take off. But then the plane lifts off. Some of you know where I'm going. And we went higher and higher. And then it got a little bumpy as we went through the clouds. But then we got even higher and we got above the clouds. And above the clouds, it was this bright, sunny day. Don't you love it when you fly over the clouds? And you're like, man, this is the weather up here. And the weather up here is just as real as the weather down there. But we have a cloud cover oftentimes between us that we cannot fully perceive or appreciate the glory that is just a faith reach away. I'm talking about understanding the eternal purpose of God. All right, let's go. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose. Whose purpose? It is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know what? If you think about this as a timeline of human history, great kings and kingdoms have been raised up and fallen. Great powers that you think no one will ever conquer this people. And then some hundreds or thousands of years later, they are fallen. And we think we're the greatest country on the planet. And we've got so much good going for us. I'm a big American guy. But I tell you, I'm a kingdom guy before I'm an American guy. Because nations rise and fall. It is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Christians, be political and vote biblical values. But understand that your first priority is not to a governmental platform. You're a kingdom person. And if God moved you to red China, communist China, you would be a kingdom person there. If he moved you to Russia, you would find out what is the kingdom expression here and now. Because God cares about the human race and he invites you to participate in it. See, the priority of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God, which is the dynamic rule and reign of God in the human heart and of all, all of creation. So Christ's invitation to the kingdom is his invitation to the eternal purpose of God. This is a call to live in the transcendent. Everyone say transcendent. See, we don't use that word very much. It's kind of mystical. But Christian... I hope you get used to using the word transcendent. I think people in third world countries are more tied into the transcendent because it's so miserable and hopeless in their earthly reality. We've got such a cushy existence that oftentimes we don't think much about the transcendent until someone dies. 
Friends, whether we live or die, everything in between must be firmly, firmly tied to the reality of the transcendent, can I hear an amen, amen. in the house yeah. seeds church. Yeah. G. Campbell Morgan said this, the purpose of God and the power of God is available to every man, and I would add woman. And here's what I can tell you. Understanding and flowing in the purposes of God is not just for ministers and missionaries. It's for young people. I love seeing the young people sitting down front. It's for the young and the old alike. You serve the eternal purpose of God. This is, this is my epitaph. Get ready. It was said in the book of Acts about David. Here it is. For when David had what? What's the Bible say? What did he do? In his own generation, he fell asleep, meaning he died, and he was buried and his, with his fathers and his body decayed. What a great compliment to give an Old Testament figure. He served God's purpose in his generation. That's all I need on my tombstone. You know what? You can't serve the past generation, and you can't serve the future generation, really. I mean, you can raise up kids and, and, and pass truth along, but you can serve the generation in which you live. Do you know when you stop serving God's eternal purpose on earth? It's, it's the day you graduate to heaven. But David took his life, and he stood down here. Was David a perfect man? David had some sin problems. He had some horrible, I mean, adultery, murder, conspiracy to murder, other things. But he was a sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a man after God's heart, and he knew how to repent. And he stood down here, and he says, with my one and only humble life, Lord, I'm going to look up to the transcendent, and I'm going to say, what is your heart? And God, what are you doing on earth in my day? And I'm going to step up. I'm going to tie in to serve your purpose. And David had a New Testament reality. We were singing about it this morning, about the Ark of the Covenant. David took the Ark of the Covenant, which no one could look at or even touch, and he brought it into his tabernacle, which was one tent that was open to praise and worship singers by the hundreds, and they worshiped God like face to face. The ark was in the middle, and all the musicians were around it. Do you know how revolutionary that is? It totally broke the mold that God gave Moses for the tabernacle, and that later was picked up in Zerubbabel's temple and Herod's temple. Totally broke the mold. Why? Because David saw something transcendent. The Apostle Paul, five times in his great book uh, of Ephesians, unfolds various truths on the eternal purpose, and that would be a totally different sermon altogether. But let me just lift out this amazing passage in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our, our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. This is, means you're born again. Making known to us the mystery of his will. What is that, Paul? According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, everyone say plan, for the fullness of time to what? Unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is the end game. Now, this is amazing. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that the consummation of all time, Jesus is going to say, Father, I have redeemed a people unto yourself. I have saved them with my blood. And 1 Corinthians 15 says, at that time, Jesus will hand the kingdom over to the Father so that God may be all and in all. And you are going to have a front row seat. As a matter of fact, you're going to be one of those redeemed that he gathers up and hands to the Father and say, here they are. Here they are. You're going to be their saved friend. And this is the end game. And even though Paul preached for three plus years at that great church at Ephesus, he wrote back five years later, and he says, I'm praying for you guys, for you guys to get this. Two themes in Ephesians, who you are in Christ and the eternal purpose of God. Deep waters. And so he goes on, uh, and, and this is you. You're the little hiker dude. That's you. That is your life. And, you know, as we live life, there's three perspectives that speak to us. And the first is the immediate. Everyone say immediate. immediate. That means, honey, it's time to take out the garbage. That means, uh, hey, the toilet is plugged up. Go get the plunger. That means the kids need discipline. That means uh, little Johnny lost his shoe. Uh, that means that the, 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 I've got to go to work, but on the way to work, i got a flat tire. All of this is immediate life stuff. And guess what? As Christians, we live in the immediate. Everyone still flush the toilet at your house? Yes. Yes, praise God. Indoor plumbing. We all live in the immediate. And Jesus understands that. Why? Is because the, the realities of the kingdom, when you're kingdom people, the realities of the eternal purpose of God come down to the immediate. But there's another level called life vision. And life vision is where you say, Lord, what is your plan and purpose and calling for my life? And what you're doing as a Christian, you're saying, you're looking up and saying, you know, um, Rick Warren wrote this book, The Purpose Driven Life. And it's, it's okay to think of what is my purpose, but you know, any unsaved per person can ask the same question. You know what the higher question is? God, what's your purpose for my life? Okay, we're getting there. That's why I'm calling it life vision. What is your calling? What is your purpose? Uh, if I die at age 85, what does my finish line look like? God, and I want you to give me those marching orders. In other words, I'm not taking my destiny into my hands. I'm asking you about decisions, big and small, for how to live my life. Can I hear an amen for life vision? 
But there's a third reality that is even more transcendent, and that is this rope. It's called the eternal purpose of God, the Alpha and the Omega, and we are called to live with that reality. And here's some things that I would like to overlay. Our faith is rooted up here in the reality of the, of the eternal purpose. Few people give serious thought to, to two. I, I know it's sad. You know, like missionaries and pastors ask God, you know, what is their life calling? Me, I'm just, what's my occupation or how do I raise my kids? Few people give deep thought to number two, and most Christians are caught up with living in number one. Do you know that number one screams, two speaks, and three whispers? Satan tempts us in number one, seeking to derail number two and destroy our participation in three. Satan will go after you. If Satan can't get you to deny Christ and throw away your salvation, he'll get you so distracted with number one, your immediate, that you become a fruitless Christian on your way to heaven, but little to bring with you and gain eternal rewards. Amen or oh me. Yeah. Fools will die for number one. The committed will die for number two. The righteous die for three. You know, when you look at the history of martyrs in the church, friends, I'm astounded. There's a, there's a book that's been out for, for many years called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. Have you read that book? And you read through that book of people just like me and you in church history that are being tied to the wooden stakes with, with dry tinder and wood placed around them. They're given more, one more chan uh, chance to recant Christ and to repent of, of their commitment to Jesus. And if they don't, they light the logs and burn these people to death. And the people go out singing praise and hymns to God. My question is, what kind of faith is that? For us, American Christians, is when we get a flat tire on the way to church, Satan's attacking me. How about being marched out into the great Colosseum in Rome and having the wild beasts who haven't been fed in a week released? to tear at your flesh? What about the mother whose child is torn out of her arms and who says, take heart, dear, look to Jesus, because very soon we will be together face to face in heaven with him. What kind of faith is that? Friend, it's this. It's where the immediate reaches through the invisible goes up above the clouds of torment, temptation, trials, and tearing beasts. And it lays hold of something so real that it's going to go out singing. Friend, this is an opportunity for you and for me.
We talk about the end times. And we look down this timeline. When is the Lord coming back? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And the worst conditions get on the earth, the more we say, come back Jesus. And we don't know when Jesus will come back and set up his earthly kingdom. But we do know that we are called to live, with, live for him right here and right now. So being rooted in a revelation of three releases God's blessings into one and two. And that's essentially what we're talking about right now. So serving God's eternal purpose has practical implications. I'm going to run through these very, very quickly. Are you still with me? Or do you want to go home and have lunch already? You're still with me? Okay. All right. There are practical implications when... You, like David, say, I want to take my one and only life, and I want to serve God's purpose. Oh, by the way, Satan will buffet this. You see this knot? He'll pick at it. He'll go like this. I'm going to loosen that up. Yeah, I'm going to loosen that up. Then he'll throw stuff at it. He'll throw money at it. He'll throw people, fame comfort, acceptance. He'll throw stuff at it. He'll throw the great idols of the world at it, saying, tell you what, why don't you untie here and tie onto an idol? You can still call yourself a Christian, still go to church, still serve at church, get baptized. I don't care. Tie your life to something temporal that lives down here, and I will be happy because you will waste your one and only life. Serving an idol. Now, I'm not against bank accounts and having stuff. I've got both. But one thing I do know at the end of the day, my life is committed to this, and I hope yours is too. Come on, I'm going to tie this. And, and today, oh, thank you, Jesus. The Alpha <laughs> and the Omega are still standing. Today, if you get nothing else, you're going to take that little string home with you. Put it in your Bible. Tie it on your rearview mirror. Put it on your mirror at home. Tie it around your wrist, whatever you want to do. When you look at it, think about the reality of the eternal purpose of God and how short your life is. And every time you look at it, it's a fresh commitment to say, I will take my life and not serve the temporal. I will serve the transcendent. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. That is why I want you to keep it. All right, very quickly. Serving God's purpose for your life is the way of blessing. I'm about to show you some verses that some of you, these are your very favorite Bible verses. And you might not have known it in the context, but they actually talk about eternal purpose. The way of blessing. Of course, Jeremiah 29, 11. Some people love this verse so much, it's tattooed on their body. And I won't ask for a show of hands. Who might have Jeremiah? Uh, uh, where is it tattooed on your body? Show of hands. Uh, and this is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. See, I know the plans I have for you. A lot of times we say, God bless my plans. I have plans for you to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, if you get on my agenda. 
See, God's purpose requires us to fall in line so that he can bless us. See, the enemy will tell you that God's plan for you is boring, dull, a dead-end street, and uh, to be avoided. But I want to tell you that God's plans for you are good. Young people, I went to high school and college with a lot of friends. I took a narrow path called following Jesus. I might not be as rich as some of those boys from suburban Chicago that I grew up with in in, uh, Northbrook, Illinois. But I'll tell you, I would not change my life for their 40-foot yacht. And friends, young people, you get to early on in your life say, God's plans for me are good. He will take care of me. I will follow in his plan. I will seek him about where I go to college. I will seek him about who I marry. I will seek him about our priorities as a married couple. I will seek him about all the things, where he wants us to live. And at the end of the day, if your yes of salvation is followed by a series of ongoing yeses through your walk, you will fulfill God's purpose with your one and only life. I'm telling you, it's not hard. It's just as hard as yes. Serving God's purpose brings hope and order to a chaotic life. Friends, I'm going to be 60 years old this year. I know that's older than some of you, and it's younger than some of you. However, the more I look around at this world, it's chaotic. And it's it's. It's, it's lacking order, and this is what Scripture says, Romans 8.28, another one of our favorite verses. And I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, and what? The most important, you are called according to what? His purpose. It's not just, I love God. That's remedial salvation. But you're called not to go on with your own life. You're called to serve his purpose. When those two things are in place, then you get to say, if you have a flat on the way to church or you miss your plane on the, air, uh, on the way to traveling, somehow this is going to work out. Somehow. What? It gives you order and purpose when chaos is surrounding you because you own Romans 8.28. Serving God's purpose is invitational. Not a given, you can miss it. Friend, I'm enough of an Armenian to believe this. And some of you who have studied theology uh, know that there's two camps. Calvinism says God predetermines everything, and I can't say no. And over here, Armenianism says Armenius taught that uh, salvation and God's purpose is a great invitation to which I must cooperate and say yes. And personally, my theology is somewhere in the middle. I'm glad Pastor agrees with me. <laughs> but do you know what? This verse ought to shock us. It speaks of Jesus' time and the most religious people of Jesus' time. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. In other words, they got saved. Because they had been baptized by John. Again, that's a uh, baptism of repentance. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law 
rejected God's purpose for themselves. You see that? That's important for me enough to get this, this laser light out right now. <laughs> rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. In other words, the Lord's invitation can be standing right in front of you and say, no, I don't think so. Hello? Let me just say something. This train has left the station, and it is barreling down the tracks right through your life. You can get on or off, but the train is moving on. And guess what? It will reach its destination with or without you. Do you know how many people died without fulfilling God's plan and purpose? Holy cow. God will have his way. We get to say yes and cooperate. All right. Uh, following God's purpose requires a change of natural direction. If you're, if you're going with the tide, if everyone's going with you, and if you, if you value uh, always agreeing with the culture around you, you're probably not going to fulfill God's purpose. It's invitational, and that means you've got to make some tough decisions if you're going to fulfill it. Number four, serving God's purpose will be the point of Satan's biggest attack. Let's go back to King David. King David had the hand of God on his life. Satan knew it. Uh, demonized King Saul chased him through the wilderness, threw a couple spears at him, tried to kill him, right? And he wrote this great Psalm 138. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will what? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. This is the kind of prayer David prayed in caves. Hiding in the deep cave because if he went out and showed his face, King Saul would find him and kill him. This is what we get to pray, friends. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. This is a prayer of intercession. And listen, it is a faith declaration. Sometimes we just have to say, when the doctor gives us a bad report, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Sometimes we have to say, when our, our bank account is in dangerously low numbers, single digits, hang on, uh, I've never seen God's children go hungry or his seed begging for bread. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. When, when I've had ministry challenges, ministry changes, the Lord knows, and Becky, how many times I wanted to quit the ministry. But Thank God for a godly wife who said, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for you. Slap, slap, slap. Now get up on your feet and be a faith man, the man that I married. Thank God for a godly spouse. And so this is the, this is the amazing dynamic. When we say, I will serve God's purpose and make this faith commitment that we're tied in, then and only then, do we get to say the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me? His purpose for me. Not my purpose. His. All right, we're going to land the plane soon.
Serving God's purpose for you requires obedience and tenacity. Friend, if this was, was a cakewalk, everyone would be doing it. Do you know in American culture, it's becoming harder and harder to be a true Bible-believing witness for Jesus? Do you know that there's certain large venues in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that we as a church would have loved to have rented, but they got back to us to have like a combined multi-thousand people church service. They got back to us and said, we will not rent to you, even though we're a public venue, because you do not affirm uh, sexuality as we define it. Really doesn't surprise me, but it's very sad because in my short life, and some of you about my age, we have seen the world change under our feet. You know what happens in the end times? There's a revival of righteousness and there's a revival of wickedness. And both happen at the end times. So friend, there is a revival of righteousness sweeping this land. There is a revival touching young people, rattling the church out of its slumber. And also simultaneously, there's a revival of wickedness. We should not be surprised at What does scripture say in Philippians 2? Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with what? When was the last time you had fear and trembling over walking with God? It's biblical. Why? Look at what it says about purpose. For it's God who works in you to will and act according to what? See, God's win for you is to get you to will and act according to his good purpose. And the way you get there is with a lot of fear and trembling and uh, obedience and tenacity. All right. Isaiah 46. Remember the former things. Those of long ago, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Here we go. I make known the end from the beginning. Why? Because in our natural limited state as humans, we can't grasp that stuff. God makes it known. And from ancient times, what is yet still to come? And I say, my purpose will stand. And I will do all that I please. From the mouth of an Old Testament prophet living way back here. Elton Trueblood said this, the Christian is joyful, not because he's blind to injustice and suffering, but because he's convinced that these in light of the divine sovereignty are never ultimate. The Christian can be sad and is often perplexed, but he is never really worried because he knows that the purpose of God is to bring all things in heaven 
and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And I say, Elton Trueblood, right on. You nailed it. And that's us. My question for you as we end is, will you serve the purpose of God with your one and only life? Here it is. And I sense that as we close, I just want to pray for you to not only understand what's happening above your head in your life, but some of us here in this room need to repent of tying our lives to false transcendence. Pursuing, valuing, making decisions based upon something shiny that Satan's put out there that's not the eternal purpose. All we've got is the eternal purpose. That's why Paul says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied among everyone. Friend, we don't have hope just in this life. We are tied to transcendence. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, make this more than a teaching, more than a string, more than a rope, make this revelation. In our hearts, somehow take these truths and make us kingdom people in the truest sense of the word. And Father, I pray for these wonderful young people here. I sense the Lord asking me to have a special time of prayer over people in this room that are 25 and younger. <clears throat> so, I'm going to ask you to just, if you are, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, I'm not even going to ask you to come forward, but if you are 25 or younger, stand right where you're at because we're just going to pray, church is going to pray a blessing over you. You know what? After after my funeral, you guys are going to be carrying the kingdom ball. How about it? How about it? Hey, I challenge you to serve God's purpose with your one and only life. Being a sports star is great, but it holds nothing to serving God's purpose. Being a great musician or having a lot of money, being a business person, having all these degrees at the end of your name, great. But it's not nearly as great is what I'm challenging you to say yes to. Hey, in 20 years, where's your string going to be? Think about that. Do the math. How old are you going to be in 20 years? Where's your string going to be? What are you going to be giving your life to? 40-foot yacht? Hope not. It'd be great if you get one. 
But I tell you, if you get one and you don't have this, it's nothing. Church, let's pray for this. If you're around us.